What's up? What's up? It's episode nine of Believe in Queens. I'm Joe Serralo. That's my man, Tyler Ward. We are missing our third co-host. I know he just debuted and he's already missing. Anthony Recker, not here with us tonight, but Tyler, you know how it goes, man. That's life with kids. Anthony's been all over uh, MLB Network all day. He's back on it tomorrow with the Apple TV games and you know, his kids are keeping him up. The guy said he's exhausted. We got to let the man sleep. I mean, we can't relate. We don't know what it's like to have kids, or at least not any that I know of, but I'm sure the guy needs to uh, play catch up on some sleep. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I'm not going to gripe one bit. You know, I know that feeling as well, right? Working all day, especially like just having to do the pod is for people that I don't know that are watching this right now on Friday. We record the night before usually. So for me, it's midnight already. And we've done this at like 1.30 before, and sometimes they really are dragged. So him with his family, MLB Network, we love Rick. Take all the time you need. He'll be back after the Marlins series for our next pod, so don't worry. But, Joe, we got a lot of deep dive on today's episode, right? We don't just have the massive Subway Series sweep to those Yanks. Yes, you guys sir. saw me on my YouTube channel, Wardy NYM. You know, had a couple of drinks to me. We were feeling good. I was at the series winner <laughs> yesterday. But not just that, we have some breaking news, a trade that we're going to discuss with the Cincinnati Reds. Maybe not a player you were expecting, but definitely a guy that's going to help the Mets right now as automatically their best bench bat aside from Daniel Vogelback. Then we'll get into some trade rumors, all the latest, because the Mets will be making moves. A great chance that moves will be had a couple hours or even during the time you're watching and listening to this podcast here on Friday. And then we'll be wrapping up the show by giving a quick preview, some insight into the Marlins matchup that again starts tonight by the time you guys are watching and listening. So very pumped up, Joe. Let's get into this one. Yeah, let's get into it, man. But first, got to remind all of you that this episode of Believe in Queens, just like every other episode of Believe in Queens, is brought to you by our partners over at Bet Online. Head over to betonline.ag. You can get your latest development. Uh, news, lines, betting baseball, NFL futures, even NBA futures already, or NBA trades. Is Donovan Mitchell going to be wearing blue and orange soon? Please. You can bet it. <laughs> I hope. You can bet it at Bet Online. Use that promo code BELIEVE50. It's a new promo code BELIEVE50, B L E A V 50, for your 50% welcome bonus on deposits of at least, I believe it was $50. So head over to betonline.ag, BELIEVE50 and let the games begin. You know, Tyler, we've got to start off with the Subway Series sweep. Usually in a situation like this, we'd start off with the breaking news, but the still the biggest storyline around the Mets is still sweeping the crosstown rival Yankees with the best record in baseball the last two nights. So to celebrate, I dressed like a Yankee fan for this episode of <laughs> Believe in Queens. I got the wife beater on. I got the gold chain with the butcher's knife on the end. A little gabagool. How you doing? We just fucked up the Yankees, baby. Look, you were at City Field last night. I'm still riding a high from the last two games. I'm still on cloud nine, man. What was the ballpark like last night? I had some serious FOMO watching you there. Oh, my goodness gracious it was absolutely electric i know a lot of you guys watching and listening to the pod right now you're in attendance when you have like what forty-five thousand plus strong when you're dropping 80 plus beans or just being standing room you know it's going to be electric game that was the case i was all the way in the five hundos right behind home plate it was electric beautiful seats had an absolute blast that's why my voice is still so raspy right now but i'm screaming my head up we're enjoying every second of it i met up with a lot of fans you know i saw a lot of people look at me they're like Wardy, and then I handshook them, talked to them, you know, did photos, all that fun stuff. It was great to meet up with a draft neck, Mark James for the Mets, Step Boys for the Mets, and a bunch of others. But the entire environment was just simply electric. Like, you cannot make this stuff up, right? It only happens a couple times a year, regardless of if you're a Mets or a Yanks fan. How do you not love that environment? 
Even if, say, the Mets would have lost, which thankfully they didn't, the environment still was absolutely too tee beautiful. And for the Mets to cap it off the way that they did with the walk-off, that is why my voice is the way it is. That was okay. But once we got there, I'm losing my absolute mind, losing bananas on the Yanks. I'm supposed to be scared of this team, the World Series favorites. Let's pump the brakes a little bit. We got plenty ball left. Yeah, look, man. I, I mean, I've said it uh, many times this season, and the last two nights only solidifies it more so. There's one team that I'm afraid of in Major League Baseball right now. It's the Houston Astros. And it's because they have pitching that can combat the Mets, and they have a manager that's right up there with Buck Showalter and Dusty Baker as, you know, those are the two best managers in baseball. The Yankees don't scare me, and, you know, people might give me crap for this. I might have egg on my face later. But the Dodgers and Braves, you know, no one scares me except the Astros. And the reason that the Yankees, with that, you know, mashing lineup full of sluggers, don't scare me is because they're two all or nothing. And they address that with Andrew Benatendi because Which he's they a great did contact. after the Mets humble them. So yes, I'm exactly sure put two and two together. <laughs> 100%. But it's because they're all or nothing and they just simply don't have the pitching to compete in October in, in a short series. You know, I mean, look at the Mets, what they did pitching against the Yankees, and they don't even have Jacob DeGrom back yet. You know, Taiwan Walker, Max Scherzer. Both, I thought, had just incredibly gutsy performances. I don't know how much into college hoops you are, Tyler, but Bill Raftery is one of my favorites. Gotcha. And when you hear him say onions, I mean, that's what I saw out there <laughs> from Walker and Scherzer. For those of you who don't know, onions means he's got balls. And those guys showed that they had balls. They had guts. They were tough. I mean, it was just such a gutsy performance. Walker especially giving up those two bombs in the first inning and just bearing down and getting tough the rest of the way. And then Max, I mean, challenging Aaron Judge. Make no mistake about it, guys. Max Scherzer, on his 38th birthday, made Aaron Judge's bitch. It's that simple. That's Aaron Judge, fun. You got to teach mean, him a lesson every now and then. He sunned him. He sunned him do. on his 38th birthday, man. It was That was a masterful clinic on pitching from Max Scherzer. You know, I was texting with Rec the whole time while you were there screaming your head off. And <laughs> it was just like, you know, Rec brought up that great point last episode, how Judge has the best slugging percentage in baseball against fastballs and breaking balls. Struggles against off-speed, meaning splitters, change-ups, etc. But mashes, fastballs, sliders, curveballs. He still struggles with that slider low and away. If you make a mistake, he's going to make you pay. But Scherzer, that one at-bat, I want to say it was Judge's second or third at-bat, it was the one where he threw five pitches, four sliders, and a changeup. And he yeah. just put every single slider where he wanted to. I, I mean, do you know how hard that is? Uh, it's one thing to throw a couple great sliders in a game. But in one at-bat, to go four for four, pinpointing them exactly where you want them, is so freaking difficult. And Max Scherzer makes it look so easy when he's on the bump. It's why he's one of the all-time greats, why he's a first ballot Hall of Famer in the making. I mean, he just really really made Aaron Judge look silly, a guy who's probably going to win the MVP award this year. And it's funny because in the game, every single time that Judge came up for his at-bat, this place roared like you can never believe it. I mean, all the Yankees fans coming out from the ground up, they're ready and cheering on their MVP with the MVP chance. And it was hilarious because every single time they came up, Matt Max came up strong and struck him out three straight times. I was hoping to get the sombrero on four, but hey, we'll take three and a ground out, right? That was absolutely massive. And what I love so much about Max's approach, especially against Judge, was I expected that slider down away. I, I emphasized that in our last pod. I thought it would be a good matchup. I really did. But Max's slider since coming off the IL, I feel like has been the best one he's had all year. 
early on in the year, you know, he was throwing some haters, didn't love it. I remember some matchups against the Phillies, as a matter of fact, where the matchup just wasn't there for him with those off-speed pitches as much as it was that we've seen him recent. So for that slider be absolute money, going from the Cincinnati star in which he had 11 strikeouts to now him shutting, getting seven scoreless on the Yanks on his 38th birthday. I'm loving that for him. I'm loving that for the Mets. And Looking the other way, Wandy Peranza, the southpaw, on his birthday as well. He gives up the walk yeah. off to Marte. I mean, you had a good birthday, you had a bad birthday. We weren't both going to come out happy in the end. I'm just happy for Max because I guarantee entering that game, he had probably gifts thrown out left and right, probably had birthday candles. He's probably walking straight like, oh, I'm not going to blow out the candles. I'm all pissed off because he's just so locked in on his game day and he absolutely shoved for the Mets a phenomenal performance but before we deep dive a little bit further on game two wrapping up the series let's just talk slightly more on game one right because the juice balls it felt like it was inevitable I say this all the time I want to know what your stance is on this Joe might be different than mine but I'm a firm believer and stance regarding the juice baseballs, especially in bigger games. We saw it last year in the Subway Series. I feel like we see it for the Field of Dreams games. They're just a little, they're flying out a little bit more than they should at least start a game when they're nationally televised, right? So we have this matchup. The Yanks get back-to-back judge, and then you saw there with Rizzo. Ty, however, he humbles himself. He still goes six strong, only giving up three earned runs. That's why Taiwan Walker is not the Jekyll and Hyde pitcher that we saw in the 2021 season, folks. He's a bulldog. But then the offense to come back and a bounce back and give yourselves a 4-2 lead, just like that Eddie Escobombs who promised the kid pregame saying, if I hit a home run, I will give you my baseball bat. He gives him his baseball bat. I mean, the Mets get off to an early lead. Absolutely nuts. The, the, the Yanks did not have it for long. And that was also the first time in Mets history in a 60-year span where they had at least four home runs in the first inning. Never happened before for the Mets, but it happened there in that matchup. So, Joe, uh, quickly on your stance, what's your stance on the on the Juice Baseballs? Are you Do you believe it? Do you think it was just kind of a, a coincidence? Of like, how, how are you feeling about that? I just want to pick your brain real quick. You know, I, I mean, it's I was definitely believing in it during game one, but then it's like, did they just send him for game one and not game two? Because Scherzer was on the bump and they maybe you know, I don't know because I mean, the ball wasn't flying last night. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, obviously the Mets had that early home run. Alonzo crushed it in what the second inning to start things off. But yeah, it just I mean, got over. You know, he crushed that. Yeah, he crushed that. And I'm thinking if that was Tuesday night, maybe that ball's going to the left field landing. I, mm-hmm. I mean, right? So maybe they sent him in for the one game because you know, Major League Baseball is funny, right? Sports kind of tailor to the stars. So maybe they said, "Hey, Max is pitching Wednesday. You know, we respect him, we love him. That's we don't want point. the juice balls for his start." But we don't care about Taiwan Walker. So juice him up for game one, start the Subway Series off with a bang. I don't know if it's true or not, but I know that the stars of game one, what stood out to me the most was Billy Epler. What he did the offseason, bringing in Starling Marte, Eduardo Escobar, some Fogo power. I mean, Escobar had a great Subway Series. Obviously, it was instrumental game two also in the the walk-off win in the ninth. He had a great series. Marte was absolutely superb. I mean, also, you know, flashed some leather out there in uh, right field, had a nice Not sliding game catch. By him. I, I mean, yeah. So the offseason that Epler had, you know, obviously in the lineup, those guys really shined. And then the obvious $43 million man, Max Scherzer, was superb. So it was, I mean, you know, these games could not have been played any better by the Mets. Absolutely. And some big takeaways for me personally, when looking at game one, I mean, Ty, you touched on it briefly, but for him to go out and to get rattled the way he did, 
to not have his stuff. You know, Wrecker emphasizing, you know, he has that splitter. He wasn't working well with the command. That's what unfortunately led to him giving up some base knocks, the home runs that we saw early. But he was able to compose himself. And when I saw him be able to shove and not have his first scoreless, you know, one, two, three inning at least until the fifth inning, after you went through the rotation of the guys in the lineup for at least twice, if not three times, that showed me that, again, this is a different Taiwan Walker, not just with the hairdo he currently has, He's definitely locked in in a different way than what we saw in the second half of last year, where more often than not, he just simply wasn't the guy. He looked gassed out there, was struggling with his command. His arsenal was different because he wasn't trusting pitches. He still shoved out there, and I give him the absolute most credit for doing so. But Adam Adovino, as well, stepping up, going 1.2 scoreless against his former team, only giving him one hit was huge. And then you had Edwin Diaz with the four-out save. I mean, Yanks fans think they have a rally going. Just wait until you hear those damn trumpets. You know your night's over. It is the I don't want to hear anything about Enter Sandman, Hell's Bells, which I even used in college for a year. Like, I'm sorry. When I hear those trumpets, I'm ready to run through a wall. Absolutely. It's – I can – I can only imagine what the feeling was like for fans in game one. Obviously, it wasn't there for that one. But, I mean, they, City Field was absolutely rocking. But, he, you know, he has four strikeouts uh, in, in the um, in the four outs that he faced. He was just absolutely ridiculous. And even when Diaz got in that slight jam there in the ninth, right, he could have had an easy double play to end the game. Judge had a little comebacker to him. Somehow, Diaz comes out of his hand, can't get the throw to second, but then he just shuts the door with back-to-back strikeouts to end the inning to save the game. I mean, this is just prime sugar right now, the best save artist that we've had in quite a while. He might go down as arguably the best in Mets history if he keeps up this pace this season. That is just how good Edwin Diaz has been. Marte, Escobar, Alonzo, Lindor, all getting in there with the doubles, the home runs, whatever you need to do. And then, to again, to jump on more Jordan Montgomery, only going 2.1 innings against us. Yes, the Yanks' bullpen definitely was able to solidify things down the stretch. But other than that, I mean, Jordan Montgomery, he did nothing. And he was a guy who I'm almost certain had a nine-year rate in his past two starts against the Mets. Seven-year rate total. I wonder what that number is now through four starts because it's absolutely horrendous. This guy just cannot handle Subway Series, right? Yeah, I, I think he's got one less earned run than he has innings pitched wow. against the Mets in his career. I mean, it's just an it's an astronomical ERA. The Mets own him. The Mets have his number. I mean, you know, give him credit. He's had a really good year. His stuff just doesn't impress me. You know, I, he's got low velo, uh, you know, good little change piece, but his stuff just doesn't impress me enough to be pitching to, what was it, a 3.2 ERA going into that game? Yep. Uh, so the Mets have his number. Um, they did what they're supposed to do. Right. Let's face it. Montgomery is not a guy who's going to crack the Yankees postseason rotation. Herman, just because he's not putting together a full season, he probably won't either. So, you know, the Mets did what they needed to do. I'm not going to take anything away from their wins like some Yankee fans are trying to do right now. Get mm-hmm. out of here with that shit. But we this had wasn't clear- our World Series. We just like yeah. keeping up on you guys. I'm yeah. sorry. I mean, look, we, comprehend. We, we had the clear pitching advantage in each game and we did what we were supposed to do. Now, if the Yankees pulled out a split in that series, even though it would be a split, they'd have the right to talk, uh, you know, to talk some smack because we had such a big pitching advantage. But we did what we were supposed to do. We made their lineup look like little kittens. By the way, the Royals tonight made their lineup look like little girls. Yanks won. Judge- for Aaron Judge walk off a one yeah. nothing win. Whoop the effing do! Like they had one hit. They had one hit going into the ninth. I know it's pathetic. It's absolutely pathetic. <laughs> yeah, and Benny was a uh, over four, I believe. Yeah, he was against his former team, no less. They probably had a little bit of an edge on him. By the way, I mean, look, I know that this is a Mets show, but we're obviously both big baseball guys. And yeah. I talked about this on my national radio show earlier today on Serralo Sports Talk. The Ben Attendee trade, from, from the Royals' perspective, I don't understand why they traded him 
before this series. Yes, they're not, you know, bitter rivals with the Yankees. I get it. But the deadline's not till Tuesday. And the Royals got a garbage return. They got three A-ball pitchers, uh, none of whom are top 20 prospects in the Yankees' farm system. So it's like if the Yankees wowed them with a package, I get it. But considering that that was not a significant package, I'd be shocked if one of those three guys made it to the big leagues eventually. I don't get the Royals' urgency instead of maybe just keeping Benatendi for the weekend and trading him to the Yanks on Sunday or on Monday. Like, I just... I don't understand them making that deal before a four-game set with the Yankees. He's staying in the team hotel. He's still he's got nowhere to stay yep. in New York. He's staying in the team hotel. I don't get giving him to the Yankees for peanuts right before a four-game set when they could have done it right after. I think it just shows you the the lack of care their front mm-hmm. office had, right? Because I'm pretty sure that Ben Attendee even flew, if I'm not mistaken, flew with the Royals team into the city because he got there yesterday yeah uh, you know what i mean i'm pretty sure the royals were there too they didn't fly in today right before the game so i'm pretty sure they all flew in together so maybe that was a factor saying hey we're going to the bronx we like this deal we think this is enough let's just do it now we might as well like make life easier for everyone traveling why i mean if they're really being that courteous to benny then okay but other than that but, but, I, I mean he's probably you. already in new york they probably already flew in you know or at least we're on the plane while the trade was going down it's just like He's staying at the hotel. Keep him on the team for the weekend. Like, yeah. why, why give him to the team you're playing for four games when, I mean, that package would have still been on the table. It was not a significant trade package. Like, it's not like it was the Yankees being like, hey, we'll, we'll give you Jason Dominguez, but it's now or never. I mean, that was not a good trade package for the Royals. So it's like, if you're going to give them away, just wait four days. I don't know. It didn't make sense to me. But you know what? Bottom line is, it's a great deal for the Yankees. It's what they needed because they're very all or nothing. But the Mets took advantage of that all or nothing. Our pitching was just, I mean, everyone except David Peterson was just absolutely phenomenal lights out. Can we talk about Seth Lugo before we before we get to the trade talk? Yeah, yeah, no, let, let's give up a couple more points about this game. I just want yeah. to share quick from my personal experience because watching the highlights after, it's crazy how different they look than being intense, screaming your head off <laughs> at the game. But Max, again, he had six strikeouts. The fact that half of them were against Judge. When let's keep in mind, at least two of those four at bats where were multiple guys on around two or less than two outs. I mean, that was huge for Max to come out there and shove and get Judge a strikeout with those runners in scoring position, no less. Yanks doing their best, like 2021 Mets impression out here. Can't score when they need to. Daniel Volgaback, I got to give credit. You know, we talked a little bit about Vogie so far. He's been on base four of his first seven plate appearances for the Mets. Had a walk and a base knock yesterday. We take that to the bank. Mets, of Reed course, had a couple is. runs. Yeah, ex- there you go. <laughs> exactly. Um, again, he has a really good eye for a 300-pound, <laughs> six-foot uh, man, a, left- a lefty power bat. But in the mm. second and third, the Mets tacked on those runs. He got on Domingo Herman early. However, Herman did settle in a little bit. He only won 4.2. He gave up those two runs. The bullpen got it done for the Yanks for a little bit up until we saw Clay Holmes get a little shaky. That isn't the Clay Holmes that I know. Like, what happened there, right? Edwin Diaz. Not even a question. Who it's the not best a day. It's not a day. Clay Holmes wishes he was Edwin Diaz. You have to look way beyond that ERA. He might have not been charged with a run, but we understood what happened there. Seth Lugo, however, before we get there, David Pearson in the eighth again for the Mets. And both times, he hasn't looked great. He's still getting adjusted to the bullpen. Just absolutely sucked, honestly, that the Mets were in a spot there where, you know, 
maybe Drew Smith would have been nice, even though I don't love it. However, Drew Smith is now on the IL. We'll see how long he's out for. That'll go into trade talk after we break down the Reds move because the Mets are destined to make an, an acquisition or two for relievers, and that may happen again by the time you're listening or watching this, and then we'll discuss those moves when they happen, surely. But David Pearson comes in. He gives up that oppo bond Glaber as soon as he threw that pitch. I knew it was out. Like, as soon as it hit off the bat, I should say, of Glaber, you knew yeah. it was going to Taco to tie the game. And I, I felt a little gut wrench, but I still like the Mets' chances. They didn't feel out of it. It just it sucked the soul out of all of us fans there for a moment. I'm like, late game, of course, the Yanks come back the way that they do. But Seth Lugo, Joe, take it away. I mean, the man that we have harped on the most out of this bullpen, for the most part, he, at minimum, deserves another week in this bullpen. <laughs> I mean, he's been that good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, look, if Seth Lugo pitches like that the rest of the way, uh, this man, you know, deserves to share eighth inning responsibilities with Adovino or whoever the hell the Mets bring in. Uh, I mean, what we saw from Lugo, reaching back for 97. I, I can't tell you the last time I've seen 97 out of him. Obviously, adrenaline played a big factor in, in that outing last night. But the curveball is just, you know, Seth Lugo curveball is incredible. You Josh Donaldson look like an absolute fool. Well, Josh Donaldson makes himself look like an absolute fool. <laughs> but, but Lugo's curveball was great. His slider got up to 92. Yeah, I mean, it didn't have a ton of break. And I was like, oh, if Judge put a bat. I think that was against Judge. I was like, if he put a bat on that, it could have gone over the right field fence. But, I mean, it was just Lugo was amped. Lugo was on another level. And everything I saw out of him was vintage Seth Lugo, the guy who, look, I know I've been tough on him since we started this show nine episodes ago. I love Seth Lugo. I've loved him since 2016 when him and Robert Gazelman essentially willed what was such a, a battered and banged up starting rotation out of nowhere. to the postseason. Yeah, so Lugo and Gazelman, I mean, those guys, I'll always have love for them because in 2016, the Mets pitching staff was just so injured that those guys really stepped in alongside, you know, Bartolo and really Noah uh, at the end of the day and, and led that team to the postseason. Um, but, you know, Lugo, I was thinking his time was up. If he pitches like that, man, I'll trust him in any situation. But my biggest takeaway for Lugo was how much he has struggled immensely this season going back out for a second inning of work. I, Joe, Joe, I was having a semi-heart attack when yeah, I saw him. Out. He's been I, awful I was this year. It. I was losing my mind. I was like, I get it that Edwin went for four outs yesterday, but I still want Edwin in this spot here over Lugo right now. There's Especially no with the out. off day. Yeah, had an off day Monday, exactly. an off day, an off day He's Thursday. He's three straight games. I was yelling at everyone around yeah. me. Saying, Why is Diaz not in there? No, what is I, going I, I, on? I was in complete, full, 1,000% agreement with you. Edwin Diaz, I felt, and I think if if need, if you know, if he was truly needed, I think he would have been available. Mm -hmm. I think that if we went to 10 innings, Diaz would have been out there with the guy on second. Because of his insane strikeout rate, I think he's the guy you put out there in the top of the 10th and you bank on your team winning it in the bottom of the 10th. So yeah. I think we would have seen Diaz had that game gone to extras. I, I really do. I, you know, Buck manages to win. He's not worried. Oh, well, I don't, you know, we got the Marlins this week. No, 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 no. That ain't Buck. And with the two off days uh, sandwiching the Subway Series, I think Diaz would have pitched in the 10th. But Lugo, who has been absolutely horrendous going back out. He's been good at, right out of the pen, but going out for a second inning of work this year, he has just been completely lost. He was sharp as nails. I mean, I just, everything we saw out of Lugo, it was vintage. It was incredible. It, it regained my confidence in him because when the lights were brightest this year in his highest stakes outing of the season, Seth Lugo showed he had onions. I love that. Love that line, Joe. And you're 1000% right. Let's see if Lugo can continue this momentum. You know, we've been 
question how much more leash is he going to get in this Mets bullpen? Because I haven't trusted him. You haven't trusted him. But when you come out and go roughly two innings scoreless against the Yanks in the Subway Series, you deserve some credit. He absolutely does. I just pray for his sake that he can show some more consistency. That's all we're asking from the guy. Okay? And for Buck's sake, just make sure you're utilizing him well. I know he looked great in that spot. But it doesn't mean that I'm going to bet on him being able to go roughly two innings each time scoreless. Like, that's something that I don't think we're going to get from Lugo this year. So just play your cards right. Know how to utilize him, and hopefully that's going to lead the Mets to more success in their bullpen, Joe. But what's your final takeaway from this Subway Series victory? Because for me, it's not just with all the fan attention. You're having the entire baseball world watching, like you always do for a Subway Series matchup. But the Mets come in. They face the Yanks, a team that, again, has been the best in baseball and just shut them down. And there really wasn't any point in this entire series, Joe, other than them tying the game there in the eighth for like a slight moment, that I felt awfully concerned. Like the Mets just made me feel comfortable. They got the bats when they needed to early in game one, early in the series overall. And like I always tell you, Joe, when the Mets score within the first three innings, I love the chances of them winning a ball game. So for them to be able to do that, and we know the number now, I'm pretty sure the Mets are 52 and five whenever they score, you know, Four like more runs. It's, it's insane. absolutely nuts. So the Mets are scoring. They're scoring often. They have an over 90% chance of winning. That's absolutely insane. But my biggest takeaway, my voice is still raspy, but it's the best way possible. I'm so proud of these amazings. And I just can't wait to see what the next Subway Series matchup late in August has in store at um, in the Bronx at Yanks Stadium. It's going to be an absolute blast. Yeah, man, I, I can't wait either. My biggest takeaway is just the Mets are ready for the postseason. They're built for the postseason. You know, these these were playoff games. They were managed like playoff games. There was no time wasted with Joely Rodriguez or, you know, any any of the relievers who might not be on that roster come Buck, October. Buck did circles around Boone, especially game one. Yeah, and, and that's why, you know, I spoke to a, a one of my old college roommates, actually, big Yankee fan, great guy, and uh, earlier today, and, you know, I said, look, man, I said, you guys have a great team, and I genuinely hope it's a Subway Series World Series because, like I said, the one team I'm, I'm a little afraid of is Houston. But I told him, I said, there's no question the best two managers in baseball are Buck Showalter and Dusty Baker. I mean, you just, you know, and look at how the Yankees have fared against the Mets and the Astros. I know the Mets are 0-4 against the Astros, but look at how the Yankees have fared against those two teams. I mean, when you're playing chess with Buck Showalter and Dusty Baker, you're, you're not winning. You're not winning. Aaron Boone is just, you know, I think he's done a fine, serviceable job. I think he's a, a top 12 manager in baseball. Um, but he just, he doesn't compare to those two guys when it comes to, to coaching and Buck Showalter showed it, you know, the, the, the bullpen was used the way it will be used in October. And so I'm just watching that and knowing that even more reinforcements are on the way, this team's ready for the postseason. And let's talk about reinforcements now, shall we? Because again, by I love time, a good segue. Exactly. By the time we're recording this, I just came off of doing a live stream on the YouTube channel, Wordy NY. Make sure to check it out, guys, if you want. See my raw reactions. But I want to hear your opinion, Joe, because the Mets came out. We expected to move today. There was a lot of rumbling. Shout out to Michael Marino and Andy Martino as much as Andy drives me nuts. There's all been speculation for the past day that there would be some moves that transpired starting tonight. And we saw that right around 10 to 10 30 p.m eastern time folks is that the mets have made a trade for a reliever from the cincinnati reds who's going to be nothing more than southpaw triple a depth that being in philip deal you know he has a roughly 11 year reign in the bigs this year he's going to be a guy that's in triple a as a right around a four and a half in the minors and had just two and a half last year so not far removed from looking really good in the minor leagues for again a veteran southpaw 
adds on what Alex Claudio that the Mets have there. But the bigger move between the two is that the Mets also land their best bench bat now, not named Daniel Volgaback, and that is Tyler Naquin. You know, he is now the Mets' new fourth outfielder. I love Travis Jankowski, but Janky really hasn't hit a lick since May, in part with his injuries. That definitely hasn't helped him. But even though he has that great speed that we saw there in the Subway Series victory for sure, has a great glove, the Mets are clearly, clearly trying to fill all the holes that they have offensively on the bench right now. Naquin comes in. He's a guy that on the years hitting right around, you know, a buck uh, 250, I should say, 245 to be exact, seven home runs, 32 RBIs, 28 to 29 runs scored, you know, around a 245 average, a 305 on base percentage, a 429 slug and a 98 WRC plus. So he's just below the average player in baseball right now. But why is Naquin appealing? One, last year he had a massive year for the Reds. It just come down to health for someone like Naquin. He's dealt with a plethora of injuries early in his career for the veteran. He had 19 bombs, 70 RBIs last year for Cincinnati with a 270 average and you know just around an 800 OPS. This year a little bit down with the offensive numbers. I know he's dealt with ailments. But he comes to the Mets now as, again, another lefty bat, just like Jankowski for the outfield. Not as good of a glove in the outfield as Jankowski and isn't as fast as Janky. Does have a little speed, does have a lot of grittiness. He's a guy that's really hard-nosed with his baseball. Does have an over 800 OPS against right-hand pitching this year, around a 260 average. Against lefties, he can't hit lefties. He's very much like Volga back. You know, they're huge swing to miss there. So he's a guy that you're going to utilize against righties that you see more often than not. And right now, again, I'd imagine that Jankowski, as much as I love the guy, this Stony Brook legend, he's probably going to be cut now. There are no uh, options for him in minor leagues. So fingers crossed he clears through waivers the way that we just saw happen with Travis Blankenhorn. It'd be great if we could get him down there, keep him in the organization. However, we'll see what happens. If not, wish him the best wherever he goes. Already now, you look at Dom Smith, J.D. Davis, and even Jankowski. No one compares to what Naquin has brought offensively, especially against righties. Him and Volgaback have a thing going now. Now for the games, especially where, you know, Canna's starting every two or three games in a series. For that third game, you may very well see Naquin in the lineup now in his spot in the corner outfield. That's where he'll be playing. Or even for times that say a Marte needs a day off. You just need a more MLB quality bat to be in there as your fourth outfielder. Then Jankowski has been nothing more than just a speedster and a guy that can give you that occasional walk. There's been a little to no offensive production. Mets get a nice little pop in their bat now. And again, nothing more than a fourth outfielder. This is not the Mets groundbreaking move. I assure you there will be more to come. But this is really good MLB quality depth, in my opinion, Joe. So what's your take? Yeah, I mean, I like the deal. You know, the, the reason I'm making eyes and making faces over here is because I'm thinking – you know, is there a chance that Naquin replaces J.D. Davis? Because I, you know, personally, I think that Jankowski right now is a much more valuable to a uh, much more valuable piece to this Mets team than J.D. And that's because of what he offers both on the base paths and defensively. You know, J.D. hasn't hit a lick this season. And in a normal year, you know, in years past with J.D., I would want his bat and I value him more than Jankowski. But the fact that the guy can't play defense and he's a DH who's not hitting, you know, I'm almost curious if Naquin, the logical move, you know, straightforward move that makes sense is he replaces Jankowski. Yes. But right now I almost view Jankowski as more valuable to this Mets team as a late inning pinch runner and defensive replacement than JD Davis has been uh, this season. But, you know, I like the move, you know, like you mentioned, he doesn't hit lefties a lick and it's kind of interesting that a team that has struggled so mightily yeah. against left-handed pitching this year has added Daniel Vogelback and Tyler Naquin, who both crush righties but can't hit lefties to save their lives. Definitely interesting. Look, there is a big righty bat on the way. 
whether it's Wilson Contreras, Trey Mancini, J.D. Martinez, a big righty back is coming to Queens soon. But the Mets get their second lefty bat in, what, uh, a week's time exactly, in the, in the last yep. seven days. And I really like the deal. You know, it's funny. I've got a great Naquin story. I actually got his autograph his rookie year. Um, 2016, I followed the Mets to Detroit. There you uh, go. When he was playing was, with Lindor. Yeah, it was the summer I was going into college. And uh, my dad, myself, my little sister, the three of us took a road trip to Detroit for the Mets. And we stopped in Cleveland and Pittsburgh along the way. So we got three ballparks in. And I actually got Naquin and Lindor's autographs both oh, sweet. at Progressive. Um, and the story of how I got Lindor's is great. I'll save that for an episode that Wrecker's here, though. Um, really, really good story. But with Naquin, you know, look, this is a guy who was third in Rookie of the Year voting that season. Had arguably his best year as a rookie. Last year, power-wise, had his best year with the Reds. Now, you have to assume that those power numbers last year, a dash inflated because of Great American Ballpark. Absolutely. But if the guy can provide some pop, can provide, you know, that fourth outfielder presence, maybe platoon with Kana or Kanya every now and then <laughs> in uh, in left field when a righty's pitching, give Mark a night off. Because I don't think Kana was really supposed to be an everyday player when the Mets signed him. I think he was supposed to be like a two out of three guy who was just playing out of his mind earlier in the year. So he earned an everyday role. But, you know, Naquin, I think, will be will be a good piece to this team. You look at his career splits against lefties. Well, this season, hitting a buck 71 as opposed to 266 versus righties. Six of his seven home runs this year hit one today against righties. In his career, you're talking 211 against lefties versus 280 against righties. So that's really damn good. And 51 of 57 home runs against righties. That's over 90% of his career home runs have come against right-handed pitching. So with Naquin, you know, he's one-dimensional in that sense, but he's also a really good lefty on righty bat. So I'm happy with this trade. The Mets gave up absolutely nothing. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you're a little more in touch with the minor league system, but I hadn't heard of either of those two guys that we gave up. Yeah, Jose Acuna and Hector Rodriguez, who are both, you know, on the latter half of, you know, top 20 prospects for the Mets or so. They're oh, they nothing. Were. Yeah, yeah. They're, I'm pretty sure they're right around, you know, in the 20s there. Nothing drastic. However, they're guys I've had solid years this year. But again, low A, nothing big for the Mets right now. This is something where if they're going to make a move like this, you're going to be giving up prospects again in the 20s range. Plus, that's what they did. Maybe that's, I think this is a win-win trade. You know, the Reds, they offload a contract. That's a rental. And Naquin, he's making four mil for the remainder of the year. Then he can walk, of course. And then the Mets get a reliever too. But a couple more things I want to add about this deal. Real, why quick, I, real, real, real quick, I'm sorry. Did we give up more for Tyler Naquin than the Yankees did for Andrew Benatendi? No, no, I don't think so because the, the guys that the Yanks gave up for Andrew Benatendi still have more upside. I mean, the Yanks have a Do deeper. They? I mean, twenty-four year olds in A-ball. Yank, Yanks have a deeper prospect pool than the Mets. Mets are very top heavy. So okay, I, I just I, I see know. a twenty-four year old in A-ball, and I'm like, that's not good. Yeah, you know that's fair. But again, they're they're guys that have a. Uh, some decent high upside from the early reports I saw. Okay. It's going to yank some Royals deal. So like, I, I'm not following them immensely. You know, if we have someone that's a huge prospect guru, let us know in the comments on YouTube, especially your thoughts on it. But what I do know again is the Mets, they get this lefty, uh, lefty bat, and especially against right hand starters. Again, a 280 average this season, 280 overall against righties in his career. So I like that move for the Mets. Again, you just want to add more pop in this lineup than what they currently have. And, no, nothing personal against Jankowski, but he is an automatic out. And while while you do believe that maybe he could be a JD replacement, I don't think that's impossible, Joe. But I would be very surprised if that happened. I think that the Mets are willing to sacrifice the potential speed and defense because they know that they want more well-roundedness at the plate. Because at the end of the day, you need the offense there. The Mets, their defense has not been a gripe 
all year long for the most part. You know, this solidifies Jeff McNeil not playing in the outfield at all again this year. That's what this does basically for them. Gives them that security to have someone more reliable offensively than Jankowski, you know, for when Canna is not playing and say this series finale of a series that you already won the series or whatever it may be. And now this opens the door for the Mets in an interesting way because as we pivot now just from this trade news, but the trade rumors going on, if the Mets do land someone like Wilson Contreras, who all reports right now are that the Mets really, really want Wilson Contreras the same way that they really, really like Trey Mancini. And the last time we talked a couple episodes ago in the pod, a couple days ago, rather, I should say, the Mets looked like they had a deal getting close to Mancini. Of course, that hasn't solidified. He had an inside, he had an inside the park home run today because it hit off of Lowe's head for Did the champion raise oh. that that's crazy but that's a different discussion right now how is that only... not an error i know it didn't hit his glove but just just, just give it just give it a trait it's his last home game just give it to him <laughs> all right he got the curtain call and everything oh. he enjoyed it with the fans but he's slow oh my goodness oh yeah he is slow that's okay though that we'll, we'll live with that but trey man it, it took him a long time to get around sorry that's it it's okay who might be a future met I know that people don't love that name as much as some others out there. And I get it. Look, the biggest thing about Mancini, right, is he's someone who is not necessarily the answer against, against left-hand pitching. You know, he doesn't have the same numbers. He has a, like around a 650 OPS against lefties this year. If you look at Wilson Contreras, Wilson rakes against lefties over 1,000. He's one of the best hitting catchers in the league, especially against southpaws. You have J.D. Martinez, who I know the Mets have plenty of interest in, and I know that the Boston Red Sox love Dom Smith. So maybe there could be a pair there as well. JD again is raking over 1,000 OPS, so like a 360 average against lefties, 300 average on the year. JD Martinez would be beautiful. But when looking at Wilson Contreras, why he's so appealing for the Mets right now is that, according to Martino and some other reports that we have seen, is that it's been discussed already that if the Mets do get a deal done to potentially land Contreras and or David Robertson, the stud reliever that one of Tomas Nito or James McCann could be in play here. Now, I know that none of us want to see Nito go because he's that great defensive guru. He knows the pitching staff so well. I get that. And James McCann, between the two, actually had a rehab game tonight. He's first back from his oblique injury. I know you can tell he's kind of rushing back. He's hearing these rumors. He knows he needs to heal up quick. Went one for three tonight. However, McCann with that contract isn't easy to part. There's been some rumblings that the Mets do part with him. Maybe they will eat some of that deal. I mean, as long as Steve Cohen doesn't mind, the Mets can handle it without a problem. Sign me up. I think it makes a lot of sense, honestly, for the Cubs if they part with Contreras to take on one of Nito or McCann. Because when McCann, at minimum, you're getting a guy who can be arguably your starting catcher for the next year. Maybe you flip him as a rental to the trade deadline next year if he has more of an offensive breakout. Maybe he thrives in Chicago like he did with the White Sox, right? Or in Nito's case, he's controllable. Something that, again, would be on the outside looking in the scenario where the Mets take on Contreras, and then you have Francisco Alvarez chomping on the bit next year. If there's a scenario where maybe the Mets would consider extending Contreras, then you look further as to say, hey, is there even room here for Nito? There really isn't at that juncture. But you land Contreras in this hypothetical, and that gives the Mets potential where they can still go out and land one more bat, right? Because if you part with McCann or Nito, then you're going to have, say, Contreras, Nito, or Contreras as McCann as your one-two for the catching. You still have room then to land another bat that can kill lefty pitching. Brandon Drury, Naquin's former teammate now from Cincinnati, he would fit the bill with a, a guy that, again, might not be too costly, but can definitely have that impact for you. Rakes against lefties. J.D. Martinez, of course, can be that huge bat if you're going to focus on Contreras more in the catching position. Maybe they go out and still consider Martinez for DH. That would be the best of both worlds. Not getting my hopes up, but it would be awesome. Trey Mancini could still be in the cards or to a lesser degree, like a Drury, even like a Kyle Farmer from the Reds. I know we got a lot of Reds here, but they're all killing lefties this year. So if you're looking for a move like that, you have more 
flexibility with acquiring one more bat should you land Contreras than say you would with someone like J.D. Martinez or even Trey Mancini to a little bit of a lesser extent. Probably if you look at Naquin, it makes you do wonder, are the Mets going to have that same interest in Mancini now? Would they love his versatility? Would they utilize that versatility as much now for a guy that would play corner at times when the Mets now have Naquin as that potential option. So a lot of things to wait for the Mets right now, Joe. So what's your quick takeaway about these latest rumors, especially because the Mets, they love Contreras. They love Robertson. And more than anything, it looks like a reliever is going to land in Queens probably within the next 24 to 48 hours at minimum. So let me hear all your takes on this at the moment. Yeah, I mean, look, there's a lot going on there. You know, I, I think you got to go all in with the Cubs at the moment. Now, I love Mancini. I love J.D. Martinez. We've talked about Mancini's positional versatility, but the fact of the matter is he really hasn't played the field that much this season. Yeah, And the Mets are starting to, the one thing, the Mets aren't scaring me, but the one thing that is starting to scare me is locking in on too many guys who can't play the field. You know, I, I mean, the Mets have spoken about position, uh, positional versatility being important, but they just got Daniel Vogel back, who is a lefty bat who cannot play the field. And now when you look at Mancini, who, you know, looking at that inside the park home run today, I was like, my, oh, my, this guy cannot run to save his life. You know, I don't really trust him in the outfield more than anyone that they have. And, you know, J.D. Martinez, I can't remember the last time he played the field for the Boston Red Sox. So it's like Wilson Contreras right now, I think, should be the top priority, of course, because also he would come with David Robertson if that deal is made. Um, And he gives you a catcher slash DH. You know, don't forget, the Mets can start Tomas Nito who, you know, last year, Jacob deGrom, and for a couple of years now, deGrom has only wanted to throw to Nito. The Mets could start him and D.H. Contreras, you yep. know, any day like that. So I think that's got to be your top priority here because you can't stack up a bench with too many guys who can't play the field. What happens if a guy goes down? You know what happened? And that's why I mentioned Jankowski being more valuable than J.D. Davis because right now it's like we've got J.D. and Vogelback, neither can play the field. And, you know, all of a sudden the bench starts, you know, looking a little thin. So I think the Cubs have to be the deal that gets done because A, you address the bullpen. B, you know, you get the best offensive catcher in baseball. And I think if you can work James McCann into that deal, that you're in a great position. Um, you know, we'll see if it's McCann and Mauricio who hit two home runs tonight. In and keep in mind, Dom Smith. Dom feels like, according to Martino and others, the Cubs have really liked Dom Smith a lot for like easily the past two months. Yeah, so they also like Katie Davis. They also yeah. really like J.D. Davis. Dude, dude, take all of them. If it means we're t- yeah. we're giving up less prospect capital. Let, let's take keep Mauricio. Take McCann, Dom, and J.D., <laughs> and we'll call it a fleece. I yeah, mean, my exactly. goodness. But, uh, but yeah, so, you know, I would say just because at, at some point, you do need guys who can play the field. And I know that so far this year, Khan and Nimmo Marte have been great. But God forbid someone goes down. Exactly. You know, it, it's like, you know, God forbid Pete goes down. Vogelback can play first, but it's like, you know, you don't have good defenders uh, on this team and they're targeting a lot of DHs. So I would say, you know, before Mancini, before even JD, go get Contreras and uh, and go get Robertson, of course, with him. And that and that's the dream scenario. And again, it's funny because it, just, a, just a couple of days ago when we recorded last, it seemed like Mancini was a lock. And again, yeah. according to current reports, the Mets really like Mancini. They really like a Jorge Lopez or a Dylan Tate more than likely to pair with him. So it would be package deals either either end of the spectrum we're looking. But that versatility, again, we talked about with Mancini, but given acquiring Naquin now, 
you have to wonder if that even favors things a little bit further for someone like Wilson Contreras. I just think, again, he fits the bill in a lot of ways for what the Mets need right now. And again, in this scenario where they do part with a McCann or Nito, it just gives you further reason to say that, yes, they will still land one more bat. So for your concern originally by saying, hey, we just acquired two lefty bats that can only hit righties. Well, again, you land Contreras, that's one bat that automatically murders lefties. And you go out and land another maybe potentially lesser bat, you know, lower name, again, a Drury, a Farmer, just a couple guys that are popping in my mind because I know they rake against lefties this year. And just like that, you have a nice bounce and a lot of options for the Mets. They want to build more of offensive options. They trusted their defense all year. And while you do lose that speed and that great versatility with Jankowski, however, I think the Mets at this juncture kind of come in to saying, hey, we trust what we have right now. We want more offensive certainties than question marks, which is something that unfortunately they've dealt with for the entirety of the season in both the DH, catching, and fourth outfield positions. So it's going to be exciting. I know bullpen-wise, we got names like Daniel Bard, who I know you would love. Joe from the Colorado Rockies has yeah. just over a one-and-a-half-year array, I believe, right now when he's pitching in cores. He's available out there. We see the likes of uh, Joe Mansupply as well that uh, from the Arizona Diamondbacks. Has been doing as well as of late. Mets have shown interest. The Detroit Tigers are a team that I'm personally going to be watching a lot for the next couple of days because they're fire sailing even some of their young studs and their organization with years of control. Basically, anyone and everyone, for the most part, is willing to be dealt now. Detroit went in the year with playoff aspirations, nipping out the heels. Now they're ready to full-on fire sale. So you look at Andrew Chafin. You look at Michael Fulmer, the former New York Mets. You look at Gregory Soto. There's a lot of options out there for the Mets to bolster this bullpen. I expect them, at minimum, to probably land two relievers, even with Pearson and McGill coming in. We'll see. And then, at minimum, one big bat will be coming in. So hopefully next time we talk, Joe, uh, a couple of days from now for the Marlins series, we have a big, big trade to discuss. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, man. I'm, I'm thinking that, uh, I mean, it should be done. I don't know. I mean, we'll see how active they are over the weekend. I'm feeling like it's either going to be done today, Friday, as this episode is out, or not till Monday. I mean, that's just kind of the vibe I'm getting. I feel like it's either big splash today or they kind of coast through the weekend and then Monday, Tuesday, something happens. But I'm you cool mentioned the Marlins. Let's get into it, man. I mean, look, I don't want to spend too much time on the Marlins. This is our ninth episode. I feel like it's the third episode that we've had a Mets-Marlins series to discuss. So we've talked about this team at length. We've talked about pitching matchups at length here. But here they are for you, folks. Game one, Chris Bassett, Sandy Alcantara. Game two, 10-4 and four, Cookie Carrasco versus 4-10 and 10, Trevor Rogers. Game three, Ty Walker versus Pablo Lopez. And when you look at those matchups, Lopez is having a great year, just came off an 11K performance against Cincinnati, but Walker's been superior. Cookie, clearly superior to Rodgers. It comes down to game one. You win game one, you're in it for the sweep, or at least two out of three. You drop game one to Alcantara, and look, it's no easy task going up against Sandy Alcantara, the NL Cy Young favorite, but you drop game one, and you gotta win games two and three. We've talked about the importance of divisional games so much this year, and especially for the past decade plus in the National League East. You got six on the road with the Marlins and Nats. I mean, four and two is the obvious bare minimum. I, I'm, I'm eyeing a five and one road trip. That's what I want here. Um, so yeah, you got to, you know, it starts with Sandy Alcantara. Your toughest task is your first task. So go out there and do it. Absolutely. And you look at Tyler Naquin, the new New York Met, right? He just hit a bomb, you know, over the past day against the Marlins. So he's two straight series against Miami now back in Miami here. And 
Him, along with his former teammate in Francisco Lindor, are the two guys that I'm specifically watching in this matchup. One, Naquin, he's already seen a good amount of Marlins this year. He just came off of that matchup. I like his chances of hopefully rekindling more of that offense that we just saw literally over the past couple hours against them. But Francisco Lindor, he has owned the Marlins all year long. He has single-handedly been their father in a lot of ways. I don't know what is with Lindor against Miami, but great he things happen. Yeah, he, let, let's just ride that way, Francisco. Let's keep it going. So, the Mets, look, they did not win nearly as much as I wanted them to last time that they were in Miami. I'm still a little disgruntled by David Pearson pitching absolute gem and Daniel Castano out pitching him essentially because the Mets couldn't hit him back in Miami like over a month ago. So I want the Mets to come out of Miami at absolute minimum win two of these three games, okay? Pitching-wise, it's going to be big pitching matchups. Cookie 10-4 and four, where Rodgers, again, is 4-10. and 10. That's a funny matchup there. Sandy Alcantara. Pablo Lopez, these guys have been really strong, but the Mets have jumped on both of them in different ways this season. I want to see more of that. Sandy's going to go eight. Make sure he at minimum gives up two to three earned runs, okay? And hopefully the Mets do their pitching part as well. Chris Bassett's done pretty solid against pitching against the Marlins all year long. He's, He's seen them at minimum. Too. Exactly. And he, he looks more like himself from what we saw earlier in this year. Bassett can, can rekindle that more on the road because his home away splits aren't the best, but he's definitely done better as of late. Let's see more of that. Let's get this offense going. Let's try to sweep. Look, if you're going to win back-to-back games against the Yanks, this is the kind of matchup where I feel that's almost mandatory that you sweep against these Miami Marlins. Nothing personal against Miami, right? They've had a really a solid year, not as good in the second half as they were in the first half being a 500 team. But this is a time now for the Mets to take advantage. You got nine games in like a two-week span against the Braves coming up soon. Take advantage while you still can for a Mets team right now that has a three-game lead on the Braves. The Braves somehow lost a series to the Philadelphia Phillies, you know? Phillies I mean, are in the playoff picture right now, man. It's actually insane. So let's take advantage. Now is the time to do it before all these Braves matchups, especially. Let's gain another game. Let's let's try to get upwards of five games of potential on the Braves by the time we match up. I think that would be the best case scenario. Yeah. And yeah, I'm just I'm excited. A lot of things are coming up. But Joe, before we wrap up the show, let's give some more not breaking news, but exciting news. Did he give up a couple of home runs? Yes, but it doesn't matter. His final rehab start, Jacob DeGrom, is now back in the Mets rotation. He looks like he's going to return to the Amazons on either August 1st or August 2nd in D.C. I'm pretty sure I'll be in attendance in D.C. for August 3rd for that game Ooh, in D.C. So I'm going to think he's miss going him. August 2nd, man. Can you get down there? I probably, can't, I probably can't get out. Wait, you're, you said you're going to be there August 2nd? No, no, no I know. I, I, I'm in Los Angeles. Yeah, I know. I, I said I said it, little, it looks like DeGrom's going August 2nd. They have I know. for Monday on ESPN. I think, so I think I'm going to miss it by a game, unfortunately, just because August 2nd is the day of the deadline. As much as I love Jake, I got oh, to be got covered. that night. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I <laughs> got to do a lot. I'm going to be working nonstop that day. The game I'm yeah. going to have, like, on my second monitor and trying to be focusing while – moves are happening earlier in the day so it's gonna be a long one i'm excited though and yeah joe any final words before we wrap up today's pod this was episode nine and believe in queens yeah man i mean i'm just looking at alcantara versus the mets right now and it's pretty funny it's kind of backwards you look at the guys who have really struggled against them alonzo five for 27 it's a 185 clip Marte one for 10 it's a buck um there was another nimmo three for 26 it's a buck 15 clip so i'm looking at you know maybe does naquin get does he get a start here um, and Possible. you know, Naquin's two for six with a homer off of Alcantara. Maybe give Nemo, you know, Nemo's been struggling lately. Maybe give Nemo a day off. He, but, he has been pressing a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe put Naquin out in center field. It's weird. You look at the guys who have actually hit Alcantara really well. And JD Davis is four for 10. Uh, Guillaume is five for 12. Jankowski's three for four. Um, 
So wow. yeah, Mazik is two for three. <laughs> Vogelback's two for six. It, it's like, yeah, you look at the guys. I mean, small sample sizes. Khan is two for five. Um, you know, Lindor and McNeil both hitting at least 280. McNeil's 286, eight for 28. Lindor 318, seven for 22. Um, but yeah, Alonzo, Marte, uh, Nimmo really struggle against Alcantara. Maybe Naquin, who's got a bomb and six at-bats against him, maybe gets the nod. You got to win this game. I mean, it's not, you know, going to end the world if you don't. But winning this game really can set you up for a potential sweep in Miami, a potential five and one road trip against the two bottom dwellers in the uh, almost of the NFC in the NL East. It's getting late, but uh, <laughs> it, it's going to be you know this is a, a game I can't wait for. We've already faced Alcantara now. This will be four times this season. I believe the Mets are one and two in the three matchups. Um, well, so let's far. make sure we even things out then. You know, yeah. I want us on the same playing field now. Uh, but yeah, this matchup is going to be fun. Definitely a different vibe for sure going from a packed city field on the Subway Series in Miami now with more Mets fans there than Marlins fans, I'm sure. Oh, but yeah. what I do know is, again, this is a time for the Mets to really jump on the Marlins here. Mets haven't done too much of that this season for the most part, getting sweeps. I know it's not an easy task, but now just feels like the absolute perfect time to try your best to execute your really gain on things as we head into August and everything that that is going to entail. But Joe, this was a phenomenal episode. I love breaking everything down. I'm so excited to see what movies are going to happen. Hopefully by yeah. next time that we talk, but this was episode nine of believe in Queens guys. Next time that we talk, Anthony record will more than likely be back with us again. He was on doing MLB network. He's just casually an analyst for, you know, MLB network. Yeah, it's tough. Daily. The guys on MLB network every day and he's on diaper duty. I mean, you know, it, it's just, it's not, and he's doing Apple TV tomorrow. I mean, he's, he's full locked and loaded yeah so. what's the deal with that is he going to be on the broadcast or is he going to be in the studio that i don't know i guess I think we'll he's just a studio guy yeah i think because he said two games so i think that means oh he's okay in the studio. He might, yeah yeah he my guess is he's probably like you know doing analyst stuff stuff that he would for he's the fucking network. killing it he's fucking killing it what, what a great get for the show i know we're in an episode in with him but i mean that was just such a blast last episode and uh you know it's only up from here to the moon baby yeah, you took the words out of my mouth. But guys, if you're watching on YouTube, don't hesitate for smash that like and subscribe on. Let us know your thoughts in the comments below. What was your biggest takeaway from today's pod? And wherever you're listening to the podcast audio-wise, make sure to rate, review, hit that uh, like button, you know, all that stuff. Follow, subscribe. Greatly appreciate it. Again, guys, we have been growing at a tremendous pace. We're not even 10 episodes in here for the Believe Network. And it's all thanks to you lovely viewers and listeners all out there regarding our beloved Mets fans. So, guys, thank you so much. Make sure to check me out on YouTube at WardyNYM if you're not watching here already. And also check me out on Twitter at WardyNYM where you can see me rant and share way too much profanity on the New York Mets in more than likely a positive fashion. But, Joe, what do you got for me? Where can people find you? Catch me on Instagram at Joe Serralo and on Twitter at the Joe Serralo. Daily best bets on Twitter. I've given out 104 this year. I've hit 69 of them. Nice. nice. Uh, and, it's, and it's a hell of a winning percentage too. It's 69 and, and what, uh, 35. I mean, you know, follow those bets, make yourself some money. Uh, and also my national radio show, Serralo Sports Talk. It airs Thursdays, seven Eastern, four Pacific on Sports Map Radio. I know it's Friday now, which means the show is up as a podcast. So after you listen to or watch this episode, Go look up Serralo Sports Talk. It's pretty much the radio show with no commercials. Had my man Josh Booty on this week. Of course, LSU quarterback, NFL quarterback, and member of the 97-98, I was going to say Miami, Florida Marlins. We talk David Ortiz's Hall of Fame induction. Josh and Big Poppy are good friends. We talk NFL training camp, Subway Series on the show. 
everything and then some. So go catch Sorallo Sports Talk and hit me up at Joe Sorallo on Instagram at the Joe Sorallo. On you know, Joe's bets are no joke. I've been asking for advice now. He's been absolutely killing it. So again, you, oh, I even send them to you. Did you see my tweet with today's? With, uh, no, Zach? I didn't. We'll, we'll do it tomorrow. We'll do it tomorrow. Uh, I went two it? and one. I hit Wheeler and Otani. Wheeler was over six and a half. Otani was okay. over eight and a half. And I lost on the Guardians money line. They were cruising in, into the sixth. And then Bogarts hit a three-run homer off McKenzie. McKen- Dude, I'd kill to get Tristan McKenzie. I love that guy. Uh, dude, he he's slim. He's 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 I, Mr. I love love that guy. Yeah, he, he's he's no calf, but man, oh man, he's got some nasty stuff in his arsenal. Yeah. I take yeah. him any day of the week. Yeah. So I mean, you know, he in July going into the game, he had 26 and two-thirds innings, one earned run, a 0.34 ERA. Um Oof. was cruising through like five and a third, and then Bogart's just uh over the green monster. See you later. How you doing? Three run dinger. You know what? Gotta give credit where credit's Xander is a beast, and he's two gonna and be one. fun to watch to see what he's going Absolutely. All right, guys. Thank you so much for watching and listening. Episode 9 of Believe in Queens. We'll see you guys after the Marlins series. But until then, let's go Mets. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.